Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come into your house and to open your word and hear from you. I pray that you will take this message from Psalm 132 as we have enjoyed our time together in this psalm, in these psalms of ascent, and that you will instruct our hearts And by your spirit that you will change our lives, make us more like Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Go with me in your Bibles. We're going to go to Psalm 132. And today, God willing, we will finish this chapter, Psalm 132 in the Psalms of Ascent. And remember, these are songs for the road. As travelers would make their way to Jerusalem, For hundreds of years, they would be singing these songs. When they would be in Jerusalem, worshiping, hearing these songs, and then when they would leave and be on their way home, that all of these songs, all of these psalms would be so filling their hearts and minds as they would be expecting a coming king, a descendant to come from the line of David that would bring freedom that would bring liberty and bring the kingdom of God. So hearts were longing for God to come and make things right. And here we are, August 2020, and in our hearts, we also acknowledge there's only one who can make all things right with all of the injustice, all of the violence, all of the suffering that we see going on, then we say, as the Bible ends with John the Apostle, saying, even so come, Lord Jesus, this descendant of David. In Psalm 132, we see that God, his promised plan of salvation, which is the message of the entire Bible, is irrevocably, unmistakably coming through one person and one place. The person is David, and the place is Mount Zion. So again, we've said it each week in this psalm, God's salvation is available to everyone. It's available to you this morning. But his salvation is exclusive There are not many roads to God. There is one road to God. And Jesus said it's through him, the way, the truth, and the life. There's just one way to the Father. Jesus, my friend, is our only hope. Our hope is not in a politician. Your hope better not be in someone that you know that's a human being only. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune God, Messiah. So I ask us again this morning, I ask you again this morning, what is your share in David? This song of Zion, follow along, I'll read out loud. Verse 1, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob 
I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jer. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This is the word of the Lord. I believe this is a psalm that was penned by Solomon. And the occasion, I believe, but we don't know for certain, was when the temple that Solomon built was dedicated. This is a song of Zion. In this psalm, we see that the Lord is my covenant keeper to all who've turned from their sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then you too, if you've trusted in him, then you can say with the psalmist, God is my covenant keeper. So what is the universal significance of God's covenant with David in Mount Zion? What does this have to do with us? God's covenant with David and his promise, his choosing of Mount Zion. And we've been looking at this and we looked at David's legacy, that he exalted the Lord. He was the one responsible to bring the ark from out in the wilderness up to the tent that he had prepared in the city of David. And we observed that David was a man of prayer. He was a man of suffering He was a man of dedication, and when he was denied the opportunity to build the temple, to build a house for the Lord, then he was also a man of blessing, and he took all of his resources that he could, and he gave it, and he did all the work of preparation so that his son could build the temple. What a man of character. We also observe David's people. They followed the leader, and they worshiped the Lord. And so in verses 8 through 10, we saw the ark being brought up to the temple by Solomon, that he was building upon the work of his father. He was following in the footsteps of his father where Solomon would build this temple, this glorious temple that would be significant for the presence of God to dwell with the people of God. And we observe that God's people are formed. They follow after the Lord. 
Just as the children of Israel followed the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day through the wilderness, we see all over the pages of Scripture that God's people fail, and I observe that all too often in my own life, and that God's people need forgiveness. And when we are forgiven, we are restored, and we enjoy fellowship with God, and we enjoy this uncommon fellowship with one another in the body of Christ. Now today we, we really move up. We take steps up and we ascend up to David's God. David's God, we need to understand this, he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. God, my friend, is the ultimate promise keeper. I wish I could tell you that I've always kept every promise that I've made, but I haven't. But God, he is the ultimate promise keeper. He answers prayer and he always keeps his word. So we see in scripture a clear promise given to David. We observe this in verses 11 and 12. It's an unconditional promise from God. This promises that your royal line, David, will never come to an end. So this covenant is both con- conditional and unconditional. We see, first of all, the unconditional promise, the part of this covenant that is really independent of David or his children, that without reservation, the Lord, in verse 11, swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. Now, Yahweh's oath to David was very different than David's oath, his promise to the Lord. David said, I'm going to build you a house. The Lord said, no, you're not. You're not going to keep that promise. But I'll make you a promise, David. I'll build your house. David's word and his intention failed. But my friend, God's word never, ever, ever fails. Not one word. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. This is the Davidic covenant. That the word of God was delivered to King David by the mouth of Nathan the prophet. We've been uh, becoming more familiar with Nathan and his ministry to David through the sin with Bathsheba and his confrontation. And here as the Lord gives to Nathan this word, 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where we see this covenant with David recorded in verse 8 of 2 Samuel 7. This is the Lord speaking, Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, speaking to David, and your kingdom, speaking to David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne, David, shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the Davidic covenant. We've looked at the unconditional part of this covenant, that David was promised by the Lord his throne would abide forever, that Solomon would build the house of worship. And then prayers were offered to that end. So why pray about something that God has promised? Why would we pray about something that God has prophesied this will happen? Because God delights in hearing from his children. He delights in answering our prayers. John Calvin said it this way. He said, when God has promised us something, he wants us to be stirred up so that we pray. He wants us to be stirred up so that we pray. Oh, that we would keep always in mind God's promises. That we would trust in the sure word of God because it's impossible for God to lie. Everything that he has promised, he will do. Titus 1-2, God who never lies. Hebrews 6-18, it is impossible for God to lie. Isaiah 55-11, the Lord says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, he said, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And in Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. How invested are you in the word of God? This is an unconditional promise given to David, but we see when we move into verse 12 that there was some conditions here, and this becomes a universal promise a universal priority for all parents. David was a father. He had a responsibility. And if you're a mother, if you're a father, if you're a grandmother or a grandfather, or you're responsible, maybe you've adopted children or you care for children, in children's ministry even, we have a concern. God's sovereignty did not negate, it did not void David's responsibility to live rightly before his family, as he was to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God's sovereignty is a parallel truth to man's responsibility. 
Verse 12, if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Here's the way to live, David. This is the way you should go. And so you have to teach this to your children. David was given the responsibility to lead his family, to teach his family, to know love and follow the Lord. It happens best by example, my friend. This, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is also our privilege and responsibility. So parents, let me ask us the question, are we setting before our children examples where we are focused upon that which is eternally important, that which is eternally valuable and precious? We only have a few years to invest into the lives of our children. So evaluate this morning whether our focus is upon that which is eternally significant or that which is just passing away and just temporarily important. Proverbs 22.6, the writer says, inspired of the Spirit of God, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, Paul writes, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Oh, my friend, by God's grace, may our children see our love for Christ. May our children see our love for Christ's church, Grace Community Church, our children to see the love in their mothers, in their fathers, for this body of believers, our love for one another, the people that we worship with, the people that we are in fellowship with in this body of believers, and may our love overflow and our children see our love for those who don't yet know love and follow Jesus Christ. Oh, let me encourage you men, men of faith, rise up, lead your families, Lead in the church. Lead well by serving as Christ was the servant of all. Not only do we see a clear promise to David, but here in Psalm 132, as we finish the psalm, we see a chosen place for worship. Here we see that Zion is a preeminent place, a divine place chosen by the Lord. Verse 13, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. And then we we switch and we hear the voice of the Lord as it becomes a first-person perspective. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests will, I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will... will shout for joy. This is the Lord speaking. He's stepping into this lead position in this psalm. We see that Zion is a place for worship in the past, a place of divine choosing. It's a place where the people of God would say, come, come with me and let's go, let's go see this place. Whether it was the tabernacle or then it's the tent that David prepared and then it becomes the temple that Solomon built that as people were traveling, singing these songs of ascent that they could invite people, come, go with us. Come into the presence of the Lord our God and worship with us. That God's goodness to humanity was poured out through Zion, through Jerusalem, that Jesus, we see, is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. 
And Paul would write, and we've seen this verse before in 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all of the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. So this place of worship for the past, it was set there, it was established there, it was Zion. And then when Jesus walked this earth and he, he interacted with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and she asks him that question when she perceives he's a prophet. And we looked at this in our Live Boldly series. Are we to worship where my fathers say, Mount Gerizim? Or are we supposed to worship where your fathers say in Jerusalem? And in John chapter 4, Jesus is saying, there's coming a day where it doesn't matter where you worship. It's not about the location. And that Jesus is speaking of the church. That the church is the place for worship right here, right now in the present tense. That believers don't come to a specific place, Jerusalem, but that we gather together in a local, visible way, and then we spread and we go tell the message, just as Jesus left us with this great commission. The universal church is the unseen church. Whatever, wherever you go, wherever you travel, believers who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, they've turned from their sin. They belong to this universal church. But there's an importance we see in Scripture of a local, visible, gathered church. Every time we go through a discovery membership class, and we'll have one of those offered soon for those who believe that God is bringing them to this body of believers, there's four purposes we believe for the local church. The first is to receive instruction from the Word of God, that God's Word is what does not return void. My opinions, my stories, my whatever, it, that, will, that can be a waste of time. But God's word is never a waste of time. So we come and we gather together under the word of God to receive instruction from the word of God. We want to utilize our spiritual gifts in serving one another. And beloved, if you don't come and you don't gather how can you serve brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, I understand we're in a pandemic right now. We're still dealing with this. And some who are joining us online, you're not able to. But is your heart longing to worship and serve and be served by your brothers and sisters in Christ? I know that it is. That's because God does that work in you and in me. We participate together in the ordinance of baptism and communion, the Lord's Supper. And we can't do that apart from the church. Baptisms don't happen apart from the gathering of the body of Christ, the local, visible, New Testament church. And so we don't take communion out, away, separated. We come together, just as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, when you come together. Beloved, if you're not coming together, if you're not gathering for worship, then you're not being part of the observing of these ordinances in, in your heart. If you're not able to right now, you're longing for the time when you can come again and remember the body broken and the blood shed, and you can see someone through the waters of baptism profess their, publicly their faith in Jesus Christ. And together we proclaim the gospel to those who have not heard about Jesus yet as we're commanded in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1, that the Great Commission is the mission. It's the main thing of Grace Community Church. It's obeying Jesus. It's doing what he left us here to do. 
Oh, my friend, the church, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then the church, it is or it should be at the top of our priorities because our Lord gave himself up for the church. So can I ask you this question? Where does gathering for worship and where does serving in the local church rank in your priorities, on your to-do list? How important is the church to you? Recently, about a month ago, Pew Research surfaced, and it was reported that one out of three Christians in the U.S. since about the middle of March, the onset of this pandemic, one out of three have not checked into their church at all. They haven't watched anything online, not doing what you're doing today or gathering in this body of believers. One out of three across our nation have had nothing to do with their church. That's a shocking statistic. I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but it is. But Jesus is the one who said, when the Son of Man returns, will, there even, will he even find faith on the earth? In Ephesians chapter 5, we see this love that Jesus has for his church. As Paul writes and he says, husbands, love your wives. Well, how much, pastor? How much, Paul, am I supposed to love my wife? And he says, here's your standard. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is a high cost of love. And as Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, he gave this promise on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here we have a promise from Jesus. And we take this promise from Jesus and we pray often, Lord, build your church. He's promised to do it. And so we pray, Lord, do that. Build your church. Use us. We want to see this mortgage paid off. We want to see a worship center built. And we want to see it as soon as possible so that people, hundreds, even thousands, would come and worship Jesus. He promised he will build his church. We pray, build your church, Lord. What about the future? The past, let's go to Zion, let's go to Jerusalem. Presently, all over the world, the church is gathering and meeting today. But in the future, we see there will be a new Jerusalem, a place for worship in the future. This is what prophecy is. It's already and not yet. We see glimpses of this, but it's not yet fulfilled. The day will come when we will worship and we will serve Jesus face to face. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, we studied this in our study. Stand firm. He wrote about the Jerusalem that is above, this heavenly Jerusalem where ultimately that's where our citizenship is in Galatians 4.26. And he talks about the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Oh, that grace is so much greater than trying to keep the law and trying to keep the works. That he said the Jerusalem below, comparing those two sons of Abraham Isaac of above, the promise of God, and Ishmael was Abraham trying to do things his way. The Apostle John, he wrote about the city of God coming down, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, this, this beautiful prophecy of, of 
this city that is to come and what God is, all things are headed to this. And, and remember this in an election season. In this cycle and all the news that is going on and all the mayhem that is taking place, don't lose sight of heaven. Revelation 21, verse 1, then John writes, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, underline that, make note of that, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is important. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, praise the Lord for this truth and this promise. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Our nightly news. All of the tragedy, all of the hurt, all of these things passed away. And verse 5 says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, listen closely now, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, and remember what Jesus said, if you've hated someone without cause in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And he says, the sexually immoral, and Jesus said, if you've looked with lust, then you are guilty of adultery. The sorcerers, the idolaters, that's putting your opinion, my opinion, over and above anything that God has revealed or God himself. And all liars, have you ever told a lie? Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's what's waiting for all who die, not turning from their sin, not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for their personal salvation. Oh, I pray that if you're listening right here, right now, if you have never turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, that right now you'd say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I turn from my sin and I trust in you and I believe that Jesus Christ paid my penalty on the cross when he died in my place and he rose again. Oh, there's a coming person. There's a coming person. We've seen a clear promise. We've seen a chosen place for worship, and that was Zion. And we see a coming person. In verses 17 and 18, there's a coming person who reigns. And it's not who will reign. He reigns now. He has always reigned. And this is Jesus, Messiah. And you remember what the angel said? Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. And verse 17 of Psalm 132 says, There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This imagery, we see a powerful horn talked about in verse 17, to sprout for David. It's a symbol of strength. It's a symbol of power. On football helmets, if they have maybe the rams, and you'll look on the side of their helmet, and they have that, that image of a ram's horn. It's significant for the power. If you've ever seen the, these you know, rams just go head to head and just hit each other, if you've seen you know, um, a moose go up against another moose, and they just, they just ram each other. There's so much power. Or <laughs> a bull. You don't want to take a bull by the horns. There's so much power in there. There's massive power represented in this imagery that a horn will sprout. Come out of nowhere. Didn't see that coming. Came out of Bethlehem. We wouldn't have seen that happening, but this was the plan of God that this family, that Mary would give birth to Jesus, and this is the long-awaited descendant of David. We see a brilliant lamp a lamp for my anointed. That's the term for Messiah, the Christ. That when Jesus walked this earth, he clearly communicated that he was the light of the world. He was the long-awaited Messiah. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, we see the Word made flesh, the light of the world. In John chapter 7, there was a division about, the, about Jesus, about the Lamb who offers living water. And in John chapter 8, Jesus speaks the truth, the truth that I am the light of the world, that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's the light, this brilliant lamp. And in the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21, it shows us that you're not going to need any lights because the lamb is the light of that temple. Oh, we see here in these verses, we see a powerful horn, a brilliant lamp, and we also see a victorious king, that every prophecy about this king, about this descendant of David, it either has come true already or it will come true about Jesus. In his first coming, all of the prophecy of his first coming, and Jesus came, and he came in a humble fashion. He came to live, and he came to die for sinners and to rise from the dead. And so Isaiah 9 says, For unto us a child is born. And Isaiah 9, 7 says, Of the increase of this child, this descendant of David, of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. No more elections. Well, how is this going to happen, Pastor? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a promise. This is where all time and eternity, we're headed here. That Jesus, this horn of power coming from the line of David, this lamp, the light of the world, this victorious king, he came, but he came not to destroy but to die 
to give his life for sinners, he will come again. The second coming, that Jesus will come and he will reign with his saints, all who belong to Jesus. He will reign forevermore. So I'm asking us a question one more time. Do you have a share in David? Are you ready to meet this king, Jesus, the descendant of David, born of a virgin, lived the life you could never live, died the death you and I deserve to die, defeated the enemy we have no chance against when he rose from the dead that first resurrection morning so that he could give life to all who turn from their sin and trust in him alone, life that never ends. Do you have a share in David, in Jesus, he will come again. Are you ready? Are we ready for him to return? Listen to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, you can turn there uh, in your Bibles or maybe you've got an app. Go to Revelation 22 and I'm gonna begin in verse 12. There's so many passages that we could that we could highlight and we could turn to because this is the story of the Bible. This is where all things are going. Revelation, it's not revelations. It's the unveiling, revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, verse 12. Listen to what Jesus says. This descendant of David, Messiah, behold. Don't miss this. I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Verse 15, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Falsehood like there are many ways to God. Falsehood like I was baptized, so I'm okay, I'm good with God. I've done this religious work, I've done that religious, I, I've, I've been through these things, I've visited this holy site, so I'm good with God. That, that is not true according to Scripture. In verse 16, Revelation 22, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Now listen to what Jesus says. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, Let the one who desires take the water of life without price because he paid the price. This is very similar to Matthew 11 when Jesus gave that great invitation, come to me. Verse 18, Revelation 22. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, listen now, surely 
I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And John closes out Revelation. It's the final verse of the New Testament in the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Can we say that with John this morning? Come, Lord Jesus. Do you have a share in David? Do we better understand the universal significance now of God's covenant with David and this city, Zion, Jerusalem? The promise, promise given was God's chosen servant, David. A a royal heir will always be on the throne, one of your descendants. A place, God's chosen city, a place that in the past they would go to worship. Now we worship all around this globe, gathered in local assemblies, bodies of believers. One day, we will gather in the new Jerusalem. The Lamb will be the light because of this person, Jesus Messiah, the Anointed One. Some questions for us to reflect upon, discuss, and apply. What promise of God stirs me up to prayer? What promise of God stirs you up to prayer? Why? We've gone through some of the promises today. You can go back through your notes and you can think about these scriptures and God fulfills his promises. Also, why do I prioritize or perhaps why do I not prioritize gathering together with my church to worship? Don't move past that question quickly. Why does it matter to you? Why is it a priority? Or why maybe isn't it a priority? What has crept in and taken over that priority in your life of gathering with your brothers and sisters in Christ to hear the word, observe the ordinances, serve one another in spiritual gifts, and carry the gospel to the world? Knowing that Jesus will come again soon, Lord, help me, help our church to what? What comes to mind? What do we need the Lord's help? Knowing he will come again and he's coming again soon. So how can we pray for one another? And as a church, Lord, will you help us to what does God lay on your heart? Oh, that we respond in obedience today. If you're here gathering to worship, will you stand And let's pray, and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you for your word. You are a loving Father in heaven, and you promised a Savior, and you did not deceive us. Thank you, Lord. You delivered to us your one and only begotten Son, and we have the promise of the living word that you are with us by your Spirit dwelling in all believers until the consummation of this world. You will not leave us and you will not forsake us, O Lord. So we can praise you with our highest praise in the hardest times. So Father, we ask you to bless us in all of our ways. Govern us, replenish us with your joy.
Let your crown, O Lord, and your kingdom reign over us and reign over your church, O Lord, and protect and build your church and preserve us, Lord, in an unshakable peace through the resurrection power of this same Jesus, your Son, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.